to a first party data strategy is just that. Um, it's the next step of what needs to happen. And it's people um, being more transparent with the people they're working with and um, collecting the data and keeping it complete and in one place so that they can use it to better communicate with their audience in real time and send them the right message at the right time. I wanna cause no problems. Mm. I just wanna live my life, but I keep on hearing about nonsense. Yeah. Me and my dons ain't mobsters, yeah. but you know when you see imposters, yeah. we know how to read them faces. Same way you know how to read them comments. If you wanna talk, let's talk. But around here, make sure you're walking, your talk is constant. Well, hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Death of Vanilla podcast. Uh, super excited to have a really incredible guest on our show. Her name's Jessie, and she is um, the director director of marketing at BDEX, and we'll get into what all of that means here pretty shortly. But the, the whole point of this podcast, right, is to be able to share how people are doing things different uh, to get uh, brands and businesses noticed instead of ignored. And so we are in a huge shift right now as of December, you know, 2021. Um, this huge shift has been moving from uh, really culture of of no privacy uh, to very guarded privacy as people are learning that, uh, you know, Facebook and all these other platforms are taking their information and maybe not handling it um, in the most responsible ways. And people are not happy about it, obviously. Like 96% of people are opting out of app tracking and whatnot. And so, uh, and it's the hot topic at uh, AdWorld Conference. Uh, everyone was talking about this new cookie list um, and track free world that we live in and what the advertisers what do businesses do about it and i believe jesse has some cool perspectives and answers for us on that and obviously you know as we talked before we you know we hit record um there is no definitive answer uh we are literally creating the future as we go um in a way that is respectful to audiences but still helps everyone make money right and so um that's a big long intro but let's just dial it back start at the beginning um tell us a little bit about who you are and uh and go into a little bit of of how you got into data to begin with because it is quite quite the thing right it's it's very yeah. in-depth there's a lot to it so yeah i'll let you kind of kick us off at towards the beginning of that whole journey sounds great thanks steven um, I'm Jesse Lezak, as you said, head of marketing at BDEX. And um, so I actually got started in um, data collection, you know, um, in 20, was it 2007? Um, maybe it was, yeah, 2007. Um, and it was for the Iowa Democratic Party. Um, at that point, what I was doing, I was getting my, my I had my bachelor's in um, political science, got my master's in sociology, I was working on my master's degree. And then also on the side, working at the Iowa Democratic Party, where we had 17 canvassers who would go out door knocking. Um, and they had Palm Pilots back then. So they would go out and collect data, you know, on, on voters. Um, and they would ask them, you know, who, who are you supporting, you know, for president all the way down the ticket um, to mayor, whatever was, you know, it wasn't a, a mayoral year for most counties in Iowa back then, but we were doing five counties. We had 17 people going door to door um, asking them, you know, are you supporting, um, can we count on your support for Barack Obama? Yes, no, undecided, along with other, like, there were behavioral questions to like, how do you feel about the war and like other things like that. 
Um, and then we had this large database we would sync that into. Um, and that was basically, you know, where I was done. I was like, you know, making sure that people were knocking on doors, that we had good data. Um, and it wasn't like all being entered within like, too, you know, too close or too far apart that it didn't look real. Like, so we had to like, look at the reliability of it. Um, but, you know, that was basically my step and, and what I did in that whole process there. And it was, it was a really great experience. Um, a lot of firsthand um, conversations, you know, that, were really interesting back in 2007, as you can imagine. So, you know, president who became president Obama back then, uh, or it wasn't the president back then, um, but now president Obama, um, you know, when people were knocking on some like rural doors in Iowa about, hey, can we count on your support for Barack Obama? Literally there was one door knocker who got chased off a, um, a yard. She said he pulled out a gun. Um, she ended up going to the police station because the police showed up. Um, and I had to like get on the phone with the police and be like, no, she was literally door knocking. This is what she's supposed to do for her job. We apologize. We didn't mean to offend anybody. Um, that house was on her list. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so like, just, you know, really got into the trenches with like data and knowing way more about the data than I wanted to know. Um, so that was a really interesting and fun job, you know, and that, that I met a, real, a lot of really great people in that job. Um, and I kept on in politics for a while. Um, I actually ran for board of trustees myself in grad school and won. Um, that was awesome. I got like Very a cool. tuition stipend. So that was great. <laughs> but, um, but what I really learned is that, you know, I really liked that marketing and campaign component of it. So then I kept going on through different political campaigns. Another one of note would be the Terry Curry campaign. Um, this was in Indianapolis in 2010. It was a year where like Democrats, it, you know, none, Democrats really didn't win. You know, it was like a backlash to 2008. The Republicans like took over, um, you know, nationally um, and at least in Congress. But, you know, locally, um, we got the first Democrat elected as prosecutor in like 17 years. And I attribute that to first party data. Literally like did the same sort of thing where we had, we didn't have Palm Pilots, I had clipboards and paper. So they were like going door to door and like checking the data <laughs> with paper. Right. And then had like volunteers who, you know, one guy actually, Ray Biederman, it's so funny, he ended up going and creating a database himself, but he was a volunteer for the Terry Curry campaign. He's also a lawyer. He would enter all the data for us. So I'd like give him all the paperwork. He was, wow. He was awesome. He was awesome. Um, so shout out to Ray Biederman, who also played the violin at my wedding. Um, so yeah, he's a really talented guy. Um, that's, wild. <laughs> that's, a, that's a tedious job. It is a tedious job, but yeah, he went on to, if I, I don't know exactly, but he does something where like he has a database for like evidence for like legal cases. Hmm. So he went on to do something with data and like run, make his own company out of it. Um, I'm not to say that like the Terry Curry campaign inspired him in any way, because I'm sure it didn't. He was just like a really cool guy, but yeah, he did that. So anyway, like first party data, tedious work, putting it all into one database. It was the same database we used. I mean, there's one is they still use it on um, progressive politics called the Voter Activation Network Ban. I think they merged with NGP, which is like the financial side, but this is like the voter outreach side. Anyway, so then um, you know, use all that data. Our, like we went door to door, we collected you know thousands of records. Can we count on your support for Terry Curry? Yes, no one decided. Those yes people, we made sure they went out to vote. If they didn't show up early, we were at their door knocking. Can we drive you to the polls? Like, what do you need for us to get you to vote? We'll help you with whatever you need. 
Um, so those were our yes supporters because we had identified our first party data. Um, those undecided, they all got mail. Um, they got a hand signed letter from Terry Curry himself. Um, right. And it was a big like eight by 10, you know, because they were undecided. Those no's, we excluded them from all of our list. We didn't even want to try it. Like, who cares? We didn't focus on them. Um, right. So, you know, like that was, you know, 2010. And that was first party data. So like you say, how did I get involved in data? Like to me, I got involved with data when I was working on political campaigns because that's what we did. We ran data-driven campaigns. Um, and uh, so from Terry Curry, basically like, um, I ended up working at um, Al Gore's nonprofit in Kansas City and then coming back. Oh my gosh, oh, that was before Terry Curry. So we'll just like move on ahead to like 2014. <laughs> well, I went, you know, after campaigns, I kind of got out of campaigns and I was like, well, what do I do now? I'm going to go work for government, you know, because like I had a degree in political science and a master's in sociology. Um, and the DA's office in Alameda County, which is like Oakland, California, Berkeley, California. Um, and that's um, Alameda County DA, Nancy O'Malley. She's still the, the DA. She had a program called Heat Watch, Human Exploitation and Trafficking. And so they were trying to learn about like child sexual exploitation, understand um, you know, the victimization of girls who were also being prosecuted. Um, and so, you know, we in that was some data collection um, that you know, we would work with these. We had this meeting every week. It was an interagency collaborative meeting. We had like the DA's office, the public defender, any community-based organizations that worked with these like exploited children. Um, and we'd have a conversation. And that was like really like a new thought back then, like, oh, interagency collaboration. We should have a conversation. We're like, okay, um, we're trying to figure out what's going on here. Um, let's all like sit and like we'd have 15 girls at the DA's level, I would help, I would set the agenda and run the meeting, but then they'd have these conversations and I would take notes and I was collecting qualitative data. Um, and we would keep all of that data in a database. Um, you know, so then we could follow trends on like, what do we see? What are pre-existing conditions to some, you know, like, I can't remember the stats exactly. I would have to go back and look at all of it, but it was like, you know, majority of these kids were in the system, you know, prior to being arrested, you know, so a lot of them, were even born into the system with neglect and you know all these things really sad so there's like that's a trend and there's the racial trend like um you know minorities are more likely to be exploited you know all the like cliche things so like we were right. collecting data so again it was data i was working with someone an engineer who would build the data and i'd say here are the fields we need to collect and then we go collect them um you know and, and again then we that was a little bit different you know we were using some of the data points for um, community awareness um you know but then i had a daughter of my own and i was like this is really heavy stuff because i was going to court i was seeing all the stuff um yeah and i just like was like, I need to do something else. And I had like email marketing skills, social media marketing skills. And I worked, I lived in California. So I'm like, you know, I don't want to go back into politics. I don't think I'm ready for that. Um, which I didn't even tell you about. There was a time I was a political consultant. Like I was doing like different contracts. I guess that's the part I kind of skipped over, but um, yeah, that's, I didn't news to do me. that's crazy. Because that like, I worked every hour of the day, every minute, like there was no stopping, you know, like the more you right. do, the more likely you are to win, you know? So like I went yeah. crazy. Um, and so then I went and started working for, I got a job in a, a startup, a tech startup and started doing social media for a tech startup. 
started doing email campaigns and um, data, you know, getting involved with their customer data, making it flow correctly to my advantage so that I can show where leads were coming in and, you know, also yeah. show like who's closing business and the things that matter to a company like revenue. Um, so, you know, very familiar with things like Salesforce and, and stuff like that. So that's my personal background kind of moving into like tech and then um, worked at SendHub uh, you know, four years, that was my last experience as text messaging application. And, um, so data was really important to our customers, really important to us. Um, you know, you had to have consent to be able to text people. You got to have a place to manage all of that data. So, um, I was just blown away when I learned about BDEX. I'll be really honest with you. Um, and the really reason, the way, reason I was blown away was because, you know, in April of this year, um, the cookie deprecation was coming much faster. I know in June of this year, Google announced their cookie deprecation delay. So at the time as a marketer, I was like, what's happening? Like, I don't know what's happening. Like is marketing gonna like, online marketing is completely changing. I'm not keeping up with it. I have no idea what's happening. Um, and, you know, had a conversation with David, our, our co-founder and CEO and, um, you know, got to learn a little bit about what they were doing to already help people. Like he was basically like, um, you know, cookies aren't as good anyway. You know, like what come, we've been helping people with their first party data, you know, since 2014. And, and then I mm -hmm. like back to my experience. I'm like, yeah, the first party data is where it's at. Like that's the money, right? You know, so like yeah, the people you're talking to, the hard stuff to do in marketing, figure out who your audience is. That's hard. Um and so, you know, to be able to enrich that and um, do it in a privacy compliant manner um, and do it at a time when the internet industry is completely changing. It's like Y2K all over again. Uh, some people say maybe, um, but no, I don't think it's going to be like that. I actually like when, when it goes away, because cookies are going away, if you are relying on them, then you're, you're not going to be in a good place. Um, so it's time now for brands to get their first party data strategy in order. Um, and they may think they have it in order, but it's, you know, I would say it's probably not good enough. Um, and they need to be doing more. They need to have a team. They don't have the capacity to have a team. They need to have a person dedicated to monitoring the accuracy and the quality of their data. So that's where you're at right now. And, uh, where you're, 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 you're thriving and, uh, making moves right into the future of, uh, advertising really, um, well, it's not, it's not specifically, you're not in advertising, but obviously, uh, advertisers are some of the people who are talking Selling about this the most. Yeah. That's yeah. my audience. Yeah. Exactly. So, okay. So let's backtrack and just kind of like, uh, highlight a couple things on your journey that I think is interesting. One is that, um, like we were talking about earlier in the call, uh, before, I don't know. We'll see. I, I, someone else is editing this, so they may include it or not. But either way, I wanted us to um, revisit something that you mentioned that really caught my ear, which is that um, first party data collection is like old, right? It's it's super old. What's different is the tools that we use to collect that data. Not that we have to use them. You can still use a uh, a, a, you can still use a clipboard, right? And get customer yeah, data. Exactly. You know, you're, you're a coffee shop, everyone who walks in like, hey, can we send you a coupon for a free thing? Write it on a clipboard. That would be completely barbaric, but you could. <laughs> you right? could. 
but the reality is it's like uh, for all the people who are freaking out about this cookieless world, first party data gathering has really been a part of what people have been doing since the dawn of time, which is just simply having conversations with people and finding out pain points uh, that they have so that you're able to service them better, right? Or, or make more informed decisions. Like the example of like your voting thing, like, I don't know, I'm a creator. So like, I'm sitting there thinking like, okay, if I'm, you know, thinking back to like an, uh, the, the Obama election, like, okay, if people really don't like that there's a war, we're probably going to talk about how Obama doesn't want to have a war in the video that we make, because we know the people who want him to be right in office are going to be wondering whether or not he supports that or not. And it's important that we cover that because the data says that that's important. Informed decision informed the content, which happens to change the outcome. Um, exactly. Then we know what mail to send. You right. know, you got to pay for postage. Like you got, you got your message for if they answer this way, your message for, the, you know, so when you're dealing with large data, then yeah, the right. data you so, collect helps you. Yes. And so, and, 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 you know, and I think in my brain, I'm making an assumption, which is that most people probably aren't doing first party data. But would you say that that's true? Is that a pretty safe assumption that lots of businesses are not doing any sort of first party data? Or is that just a massive misunderstanding on my part? Hmm, most businesses. So like per, I, by percentage, because I know you guys work with a lot of people that do. So yeah, we definitely do. We work with larger companies who have, you know, already a good amount of data to at least, you know, where they can send a list to us um, that we're able to help them do something with. Um, but if you're talking about like SMBs and just like my general thought, like I think most companies are collecting data. They may not know it. It may be going somewhere okay. in the middle of nowhere like that, like someone forgot about, like the guy who set it up is like 20 years, like down his career path somewhere else, you know, <laughs> like that happens a lot um, because like every transaction is pretty much trackable these days. Like it's going somewhere, it's going to your bank account. Like it's going, right. you know what I mean? Like um if you have a web form on your website and you have people who are filling out that web form you're collecting data um you know so i think most people are collecting data it's just they may not know they're collecting data and if they don't know it then they're obviously not doing anything with it right so by default the tools that we use now are collecting data of some sort on in some sort of format. Um, but what we're saying is what, what, what I think you're saying is that not a lot of people are leveraging and being intentional about the data they collect, if that's my right. understanding. Yeah, exactly. Well, and so that kind of, that leads us a little bit into the idea that is, um, it, you, you mentioned it very, very briefly when you were talking about um, some of the research you were doing uh, that you said that there were certain fields that they needed to get when they were doing the research, right? And so I think I'd like to draw, draw a correlation between like then and now of what that looks like. So when you were doing fields, uh, different fields, like when I, when I say fields, what I'm saying is like, like first name, last name, email, points. Yeah. fill in the blank. So um, 
that really leads us to the conversation of like adequate data. I think you used a different word, um, complete maybe, or yeah. whatever else. So let's talk a little bit about that for you. Um, and, and especially since you're really close to it with working with, um, BDEX, like what's, what, how, sorry, I'm like stammering a little bit. Um, Ooh. what's your version of complete data and how does one go about completing it and validating it? Yeah, complete data. It's, you know, like a simple version. We kind of were talking about it, I think a little bit yesterday where it's like, you know, if you are just collecting first names, what are you gonna be able to do with that? You know, um, if you're just collecting email, that's one thing, but are you getting their consent to actually email them marketing related messages? And are you telling them how frequently you'll be messaging them and about what when they are, you know, like, is there transparency? Transparency is huge. Um, and are you getting that first name? Like when you get that email, are you going to be able to personalize it? You know, so like that's the simple way to think about complete data. It's like complete data. It can, it can really mean different things to different people. Um, so for BDEX, what, what I would say would be complete if, you know, if someone were sending us emails or sending us a list is making sure they're not like all in caps, for example, um, you know, like be careful with that. <laughs> um, and, you know, just MD5s having everything hashed, if you have all that data complete, then it's gonna be able easier for us to make sure that, you know, we are able to match it. Um, and so the more data you have, then the more, the more likely we are going to be able to get that accuracy with the with the matching so but you know in terms of like best practices with your first party data like um you were asking a little bit yesterday so i actually went and found out like what is some of the like stuff that we see sometimes um so we tend to see md5 encrypted emails more than anything else um and this is pretty standard as an md5 hash cannot be reversed um so that you know is like sort of a best practice like in terms of like mistakes um, you know, people using the wrong hashing mechanism or not normalizing their data. So like what I was talking about before with like lower casing on email and stuff like that. Um, but it is more about not having very organized data. So just even providing a file of hashed emails can be an issue if the data exists in multiple places and not organized. So like, um, you know, I was talking about earlier, like people may be collecting data and they don't know it. Well, someone's going to come in at some point and they're going to figure out where all this data is, right? So that it's going to be like in five different silos, 10 different silos. Um, and then they're going to come to someone like BDEX and they're like, okay, here's this data, here's this data, you know, like, so then we get five, like that would be another thing. So like having complete data is having one list of your customers, for example, in one place um with everything complete like you may have other databases but everything is somehow feeding in somewhere so everything's not siloed and you can get one clear view of it um and having it complete would be like having that phone number having that email having that first name last name and if you can get into the hashing like of course we can help you with that um if you don't um but if you do like that that is going to complete your data and make sure that it's more accurate and it's tied to the device right the device being like a phone or a computer or, okay, cool. Yeah. So then, 
so you have all these companies, they, they're getting all this information. And so for the people who are just maybe not as familiar with it, that the hashing is uh, the encrypting of the information. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah, because I, you know, I don't know if anyone else has noticed this, but lots of companies get their information compromised all of the time. <laughs> and so now you're taking all that information and sending it somewhere. Inevitably, there are people very interested in intercepting it. And so, um, so yeah, so the hashing is, is part of the privacy protection that you're doing for your customers, right? Exactly. So, so we, we, you, you mentioned it and obviously it's, it's, it's very important, but you know, so we have, we have hashing the data, data, we have, um, consent in, in the fact that like the people have given us permission to contact them, market to them, whatever, uh, what other things are involved in really just being respectful and, um, conscious mm-hmm. of people's privacy when it comes to their information? Yeah. Um, transparency. So like, you know, I mentioned, you know, like there's that consent, like the example being the email form and you can check that box. Like, yes. Okay. I'll get emails, but transparency, I'm only going to send you emails once a month and it's going to be my newsletter. Um, you know, so making sure they know what they're signing up for when they sign up for it and like going right. that extra route. Um, it's like with text messaging, for example, like if they're doing it right, you know, then you know exactly what you're opting into, right? And you know exactly how to opt out at all times um, if they're doing it right. Now, there's a lot of people who don't do it right, and that's where spam gets involved. And, you know, um, that's a big problem, but (laughs) that's not the topic right now. But yeah, I don't know. Does that answer your question? What was the second part? Was there a second part to that? This just other means of being respectful of people's data. Oh yeah. No, transparency is a big one. I would say it's just like as a brand, your goal should be to build the trust with your customer. How do you do that with transparency and not only your customers, but your prospects and even people who will never be your customer Um, because we live in a different world. Everybody is reviewing online. Um, you know, people do care about their data. Um, and, you know, so it's transparency is just huge. Like BDEX can't help you with that. We can help you enrich your data, but if you can't build people's trust, like, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the, it, that's, it's just like a core thing that you have to have. Um, you know, some businesses, I, I made a post about this the other day. They think there's just like some hack, you know, and you can just like, buy a list and just like email people right well you can get opt-in consent you know to email people um but really yeah i would say the biggest thing brands can do is just be transparent with people and like maybe even go the extra mile do a little more than you're supposed to just like be clear with them um people want transparency no that makes sense i've had people that I'm subscribed to, um, like their newsletters. And I think there's been one or two that have actually sent an email that said, basically, just in case, um, here's just an email to let you know, you can unsubscribe whenever you want. And it's like a big button at the top of the page. And it was just like one of those things where like, I think at the end of the day, like, as odd as it seems to, you know, spend an email talking about that, 
Um, it was a building trust thing where it's like, Hey, like, I really just don't want you here unless you really want to be here. And I think that goes a long way to brand building. Um, and as a person being on, uh, you know, the content creation side, I feel like one of the strengths of making content is building trust, uh, because you get to tell the story of what your brand stands for, uh, its values, who it's trying right. to serve and stuff like that. You go to all of that work and then uh, you violate people's trust uh, that you've spent so much money and time building um, simply by doing something silly, like making it difficult for them to opt out. Uh, that's a problem. And you really shot yourself in the foot. And so it's it's a complete, like building trust is more than just one aspect. It's, it's a complete holistic view of which is you know i'm just not as familiar with your part which is just you know the the data privacy and consent is so important yeah it's like you know you want the consent so that they feel good giving you their information but then you also want to do good by them by keeping their information safe um you know there's this app it's not bdex and i'm here to talk about bdex but i want to tell you it's called controlly I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's like mm -mm. C-T-R-L dot L-Y. And Controly is like, as a consumer, I want Controly. Like it's not built yet. It's like, you know, not, it's just like out there, they're working on it, um, like stage one. Um, but if you look at the image on their social media site, it shows like basically an app where I can go in and see who is tracking me and I can toggle them off. So I can choose. Mm who's tracking me and what apps I'm getting or like what ads I'm getting. Um, Cause like, yeah, I don't like getting irrelevant ads, you know, right. but um, it would be good to like have that transparency. So like as a consumer, I feel like something like that would be extremely helpful and just awesome because then like it would be the brand's job to build their trust. So they want to keep them toggled on, you know what I mean? Like you have to have their trust so that they get your ads in the first place. Right. Like this being sneaky thing, like it, that's what this is all about. You know, like that's why it's all being shut down anyway. So you're not going to succeed anymore. Like you have to be authentic. Um, and I think like, you know, moving into a first party data strategy is just that um, it's the next step of what needs to happen. And it's people, um, being more transparent with the people they're working with and um, collecting the data and keeping it complete and in one place so that they can use it to better communicate with their audience in real time and send them the right message at the right time. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and one thing um, I want to talk about, and, and, you know, just, just be clear, this is not an ad for BDEX, but what you guys do is is really critical for where things are headed. So I, I definitely wanted to be able to talk about it. Um, that is uh, the machine learning part of things, right? So obviously we have this like very, even though the, the tools themselves are pretty automated, we still have this somewhat tedious manual process of collecting first party data, whether it is, you know, uh, in the sense that like harder than just buying a list, right? Which obviously is not responsible, but um, that's a little bit more, uh, of a, a silver bullet, if you will, in the sense that how people view how it might affect their business. But um, 
the machine learning is where you begin to scale the efforts of your first party data, right? And so how, how is how is that? How does that work? Right? Because my only um, frame of reference is, uh, you know, building lookalike audiences on Facebook, which I'm assuming it's very similar, but like, walk me through a little bit of how that data process works. Because right, if, if I'm building a lookalike audience inside of Facebook, it doesn't necessarily do me any good anywhere else. Right. Um, so uh, that kind of takes it outside of the platform, I would imagine. So mm -hmm. if you could talk a little bit about how that machine learning works, how people are typically using it, mm -hmm. and what they're uh, able to do with it, that would be amazing. Yeah, no, and it's my favorite part. Um, <laughs> and one of the like main reasons, like I've already said, like, you know, I think I told you before we like officially started like the their approach to data privacy, like that was one thing that got me excited about BDEX, but machine learning really got me excited even more because as a marketer, I see machine learning sort of as that simple answer to a cookie-less future. Um, and basically the process is you take your CSV file, you know, you take your list of your customers that's hopefully complete. Um, and we will help you basically create a, what you refer to as a lookalike audience, you know, I would call a custom audience because we're doing more than like lookalikes off of just like a couple attributes that like say are on Facebook, but, um, you know, many things. And like one, for example, we have a partner, TiVo, you've probably heard of TiVo. People think of like, um, you know, the old little TiVo box, but like- then Yeah, oh my gosh, that takes me way back. Yeah. So then oh, they, that, that technology went into cable boxes as DVR, right? So you could record things um, and that they still collect data. Like TiVo is still around as a part of that and they get that data. So we've partnered with TiVo and, um, so we help them by helping their customers say take in take their list and build a custom audience to a full national scale based on what people are viewing on TV. So are they daytime viewers? You know, are do they watch sports? Um, and then you can run that across. So then you know, because we were talking about um, I don't know. Actually, I was talking about this with someone else earlier. Like how TV is really coming into play right now for marketers, not because most marketers can uh, afford TV advertising in their budget, but because people are sitting there on their phone while they're watching TV. Um, so to be able to know when and what they're watching, you know, can be extremely important because um, yeah. the the cost of running a TV ad is ex is expensive compared to running an Instagram ad, for example. And so yes. even for those larger brands. Um, you know, who are working with TiVo and, um, you know, they, they also want to run ads on Instagram because they're cheaper. So, you know, that can be, that can be beneficial for them as well. But so sort of that process is you take your data and you use machine learning to, you know, not just run it across like a couple data points, you're running it across thousands of data points. I mentioned TV is like a couple, you know, like, and within TV, there's, you know, more there. Um, to really get a full picture of who is your audience, like who are they? So well, A, helps you understand it, but then I'll help you target. So we'll help you build this custom audience and then we can plug it right into whatever advertising platform you're using. So are you on Facebook, Trade Desk? Like if you go to BDEX, you look at our partner page, we have a bunch of activation partners. Um, so we'll help you build your audience and then we'll just send it right to your ad platform so you can use it. Um, and, you know, I've seen like there's an 84% accuracy rate with it. And so um, wow. 
it's building a model of your perfect ideal customer and then going out and finding them. Um, I think it's awesome. You know, there's gonna be some really exciting stuff with it too coming down the pipeline. Um, there are a lot of companies who are looking to just build their first party data strategy right now. So it's really awesome to kind of be at the forefront of that and, you know, kind of seeing them come in and like, this is something companies are doing right now. So like, if you're not getting your first party data strategy in line, like now, like you're behind, you need to do it now. Um, you know, it's time to start getting that data complete. It's time to, you know, start thinking about things like machine learning and really using AI because machine learning is just a, you know, it's, it's AI, it's a part of AI. Like, um, so using AI machine learning to your advantage in targeting your market. Like we use it for everything else, right? So marketers can use it too. Um, so I truly feel like this is the way um, I can get really jazzed about it. And especially like we should, we should circle back around in a couple months because there's going to be more even I can add into it. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. The fact that we're in the middle of a shift, I'm sure there's going to be lots of changes <laughs> Yeah. as it absolutely. goes forward. Um, okay, cool. So the one last part I wanted to touch on before we kind of connect this with how this, um, you know, how this connects with some other things in marketing is, um, part of what gets created, um, when you guys are doing the machine learning for the custom audience is the identity resolution. Is that right? No, that's a separate product. I mean, that's a separate product. Yeah. I did kind of, kind of say that like, yeah, similar, like basically identity resolution will help you understand your audience. So I see kind of what you're going right with that. Like it is different in the sense of like, you know, you were using the word lookalike audience. So I'll use that. So like with machine learning, you're basically just building a lookalike audience. It's not your real customers. It's like people we think might be your customers based on the right. data. So with identity resolution, you're building like an identity graph. Um, of your customers kind of understand exactly who they are um, so that you can market to them in real time across all their devices. Right. And so, yeah, because because we talked about this a little bit today and yesterday, which is that's essentially what it it's, you know, I don't know if it's just, you know, just a, a terminology difference or what, but like for me, that's when I think of uh, a customer avatar, right? So a customer avatar is what, you know, the your ideal customer looks like, where they shop, what kind of hats do they wear, what's their favorite color, what kind of music are they listening to, kind of um, creating a, like a, a fake person that embodies all of the things that your most common traits of your customers have. And so this is essentially a data-driven specific way, like first-party data way of creating a customer avatar, but you guys are calling it an identity graph, which is essentially like, being able to give some some meat and bones into who your people actually are, right? Is that is that a correct understanding of that? Exactly. And you know, I'll be completely honest. There are other companies who have identity graphs too. Um, I would just say ours is more complete, more accurate, better quality. Um, and so, you know, an identity graph is essentially a database that stores all the identifiers that correlate with the individual customers. Um, so. Yeah, I mean that's that's essentially it. That's that's I think the simplest way to to explain it. And there are other people who are doing just that, but because you know of our level of accuracy, the number of partners we have, you know, we have the we have 
over a hundred vetted data partners. I was telling you a little bit before we have this long vetted vetting process um, in terms of like um, privacy compliance, but um, yeah, we do have an identity graph. And I would say actually from what I've heard that is a, one of the biggest parts of what we do. Machine learning is, you know, a little bit newer because, you know, it's just now coming into the mix with um, the cookieless future. There was a need there, <coughs> excuse me. But um, yeah, so, so identity graph's been around for a while. We have a lot of customers who've been utilizing it um, and it's getting more difficult because identifiers are going away as we were talking about that. So now is a really good time for people to like start building their own identity graph um, while some of that data might still be available or accurate, you know? Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think that all of this is the way to the future. And you know how I was telling you, I'd have something more exciting to say in the next couple of months, like kind of the way you tied it all together is our hope too, is like to tie it all together in the future. Um, so I look forward to hopefully being able to tell you about that more. Right. Well, and I think this is, this is super important for me. And I just want to kind of tie it back to the, the heart of the podcast, which is to, to stand out. And I think at the end of the day, the reason why this caught my attention is not only because it's a real hot button topic right now um, amongst advertisers, but because at the end of the day, whatever you can do uh, to connect with your audience better is going to make you stand out, right? So you have these, like, for example, a company that sends you an ad that makes no sense for anything that you're doing in your life uh, is, is not going to be a brand that stands out to you. And we've all received an ad that happened to be the right product at the right time. And we're just like, like, it is work to not buy that product right away. Um, like, I got like a cool ad for this uh, man oh this is like gonna go against my example because i can't remember the name of the brand but it was like some sort of bear was like their logo and they had this like super cool cold brew coffee that's like in almost like one of those like wine box type things that you can get out of your fridge and i was like that's so amazing i had to work to not buy that because like i was like gonna have to explain why i spent 30 dollars on cold brew to my wife um but you know talk about like targeted right like they they know me they know me um, and so I think to be able to start collecting this data and be able to identify, you know, have those like identity graphs and some of those other interpretations of that data to be able to discover who your like most perfect client is, uh, gives you an opportunity to, to tell relevant stories, to be able to connect with them, to create yes ads, but it's also, it informs everything and it informs the kind of um you know graphics that you show it 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 informs the kind of testimonials that you share it it informs the kind of videos that you create and the subjects that you talk about um and that is going to make your brand stand out because it's going to connect with people right like the thing i'm thinking in my brain is like you have like will ferrell funny and then you have like ryan reynolds funny they're very different and they're going to connect with different people right there are some people that think that you know will ferrell is not funny at all Right. And so at the end of the day, like they're never going to go see his movies. Right. Um, and I don't actually have never met anyone who doesn't think Ryan Reynolds, Ryan Reynolds is funny or not funny. So that may be a, a bad example, but at the end of the day, right? Like they connect with different people and so will your brand. 
And to be able to tell those relevant stories is going to attract those kinds of people. So that's why to me, I know this is like very like scientific and kind of like under the hood type subjects, but um, as a content creator, I think what you guys are doing is incredibly valuable um, and is going to be a revenue driver because at the end of the day, anytime you connect with someone to build trust with them, they're more likely to do business with you. And um, it's, it's so important. So thank you so much for sharing. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, Stephen. And you know, you really brought it back to the most important point. Like I sat there and talked about data, but the most important part is remembering that person behind the data. You know, like I was talking to a guy on LinkedIn and he was explaining like they were selling scarves. Like you have to imagine that woman walking into that store. What is she thinking that day when she's putting on that scarf? You can't just look at data and fully understand your audience. Like if you want to be respectful of your, of your audience, um, you know, not only will you be privacy compliant and you'll do all those things, but you'll fully understand them and not only understand just who they are as the data point, but as a person. So you really do, that's what's going to set the, the good companies apart. Those with the trust and the transparency who understand their audience. Well, and to be honest, I think a lot of that's just going to happen. Like as this whole, as the shift happens in the industry, I think we're going to find that there's going to be tools and resources that are built that helps us do those things. So instead of just email, name, age, occupation, we're able to do some of those like psychographics, uh, which hopefully maybe the, you know, the AI um, things that people are building will be able to help interpret some of that data for us to be able to have some of those, those psychographics to be able to understand like, okay, like she's a frustrated 32 year old housewife. Well, how do you know that? I don't know, but someone's going to come up with a tool to figure that out. Um, that is going to be able to help people who help people deal with depression. Uh, <laughs> that, 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 that brand is going to freaking nail it. Right. But as of right now, I don't think we have that information. So I think it'll be interesting to see what kind of tools come out of this too. And resources cool. to be able to have cleaner and cleaner and more complete data. Yeah. I mean, we both have little ones, so we got to think about like their data, right? And we got to go out and make the world a better place. So I think it's going to be more conversations like this um, and yeah, seeing what tools come out. Right. I would agree. Well, thank you, Jesse, so much for being on the show. We kind of went a little bit over um, partially because we just had such a good conversation before the podcast. So I'm not sad about that. Um, but yeah, so just to wrap things up, if you could just let people know um, where to find you, uh, where to connect with uh, or find more information about BDEX and just connect with you personally, uh, definitely do that. We'll make sure to have those things in the show notes. But if you could let people know the best way to reach you, that'd be awesome. Yep. Best way to reach me would just be on LinkedIn. I'm there. Find me, Jesse Lezak. I, I look at my DMs, follow me. Um, I'll follow you back. And, um, you know, find my email and everything else you mentioned below. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. For all of you guys watching, thank you so much for enjoying this incredible conversation with uh, Jesse. And just uh, if you guys are looking for more incredible interviews with people from all different industries, definitely check out our YouTube channel. We're also on Spotify and Apple iTunes as as well as many other uh, podcast platforms and audio only version. Uh, just uh, search for Death to Vanilla Podcast. So thank you for watching. I wanna cause no problems. I just wanna live my life, but I keep on hearing about nonsense. Me and my dons ain't mobsters, but you know when you see imposters. We know how to read them faces, same way you know how to read them comments. If you wanna talk, let's talk. But right here, make sure you walk and you talk, it's calm.